I mean, I feel really blessed and I'm really lucky. It's hard, hard work, and but I love hard work. From empowering women, championing diversity, and promoting fitness, our guest today has been a pillar of the development of women's cycling in the U.S. for years now. We are honored to have Nicola Kramer of Virginia's Blue Ridge 2024 joining us today on Bobby and Jens. Well, we all know that cycling is a hard sport for the athletes, but rarely do we get an inside look into what it takes to get the riders on the start line in the first place. Today, we want to change that with one of the most influential team managers in women's cycling as our guest, Nicola Kramer. Welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. First of all, welcome to the show. You know, we had you on during the old Fizzo days. Um, a lot has happened uh, since those years. Uh, back then, you were based in Boise. I learned how to say Boise because of you. Uh, Boise, Idaho, and you did a lot of, spent a lot of time at Pace Ranch down in Tucson. So where is home for you these days? Well, I'm still in, I still have a place in Boise, but we, um, as of the beginning of the year, we have a new title sponsor, Virginia's Blue Ridge, and also Visit Virginia, which is uh, Virginia Tourism. And so I'm based in Roanoke, Virginia now, which is, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know there was a big tour that went through there, maybe Bobby, when you were racing. Um, and it's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous riding. And um, so for our listeners, now your team is called um, Team 24, Virginia's Blue Ridge. For our listeners, for yeah, for a better understanding, the team started as a Team 2012, right? Then went to Team 2016, then Team 2020. And I guess everybody picked up by now. It corresponds with the Olympics, correct? Just so that yes, our listeners correct. understand. Was that always your idea to have the name and prepare always in the Olympic circle? Or did it just came along when you created the team? Yeah, so the team began um, 18 years ago and it was ProMan. It was actually a German chemical engineering company called Project Management and they were abbreviated to ProMan. And I, I soon realized that every couple of years, it seems, um, and this is in, in, you know, continental teams or world tour teams, title sponsors can change. So it's really hard for fans to keep up with the team sometimes, you know, it's like if it's a radical title sponsor change, it almost seems like it's not the same team. Um, and people typically don't know the management companies behind the scenes, they just know the team name. So I really wanted to have something that anchored the team, um, you know, like a lot of uh, other sports like ball sports, they're anchored by a city name, you know, um, San Francisco Giants or and so on and so forth. So we had um, a couple of really good uh, just developing athletes at the time who had their eye on the London Olympics. And so it was just before um, the Beijing Olympics when we decided to change the name and that's when Kristen Armstrong, after she won her gold medal in Beijing, joined the team. 
And we just thought, you know, let's let's have a focus of, of getting these athletes to the London Olympics. So we started off as 2012 and then so we kept it in the name and people can follow us along the way, whether our title name changes or not. We're still anchored by that 2012, 2016, 2020, 2024. So, yeah, I mean, this I, a year ago, I thought, OK, 2024, that's probably the last time around for me. And then I've got 27 juniors on the team right now who are like, well, what about 2028, you know? And so I maybe will go that far. I mean, and of course it's in America then too. So that's pretty cool. So back up, how many junior women do you have on on the team? (laughs) Yeah, 27. I mean, usually we have between eight and 12, but after COVID, you know, this, we, we really engaged with our kids during that whole time. I mean, they weren't at bike races. They weren't even going to school. And, you know, when you're so young and your job is to learn, you're just this learning machine, at, you know, when you're um, preteen and teen. And you're not at bike races learning. You're not in school learning. You're online learning, a little bit different. Um, you know, there was a need for just to lean into these kids a little more. And we had a lot of Zoom sessions with our team. And, you know, extraordinary things happened because we did a lot of off the bike coaching and they were just really engaged. And we showed up at junior nationals after the, you know, lockdown was lifted um, last year in Florida. And and they were extraordinary. We had this really tight unit of young women some of them had never met in person and they raced like a professional team and it was really amazing so they had um really they're responsible for creating this very supportive um culture within the team um they're they're all very competitive but they were so supportive of each other at junior nationals that other parents and other kids saw what was happening and so, you know, I get a lot of resumes and, and when a young girl calls me or reaches out on social media or however they get a hold of me and say, you know, we really respect and really want to be a part of what you're doing. How do I say no to that? This is a, a young girl that really just wants to be a part of what we're doing. And they don't have to be extraordinary bike racers. Um, just the fact that they want to be a part of it and, you know, just respect what we're doing is is enough so yeah it quickly grew to 27 because i couldn't say no and um it's been amazing actually yeah so so that's 27 junior women mm-hmm. but you you guys are involved in online swift racing gravel racing road racing crit racing track racing how many young women are under your wing there at at virginia's blue 2020 yeah it's around 40 that's a four zero. Yeah, which is, which is a lot. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, honestly, going back to these really weird couple of years, and um, just women needing needing something and needing a focus and needing to be a part of something more than ever, especially teenage girls with, as we know, just after these crazy couple of years, suicide rates went up. Um, just a lot of mental health issues. And, you know, if we if we can help and just engage these girls and to have a healthier lifestyle and, and have a focus and a goal and be a part of something, it, it's a good thing. 
So I believe it's uh, quite challenging to have that many people under your wing and then have to decide, okay, this woman is a really nice character, but maybe not Olympic quality, but I cannot drop her. This woman maybe has Olympic qualities. How do you decide that? And, and how do you work with the more yeah. talented or the more challenged ones? Um, fill us in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my goal running a junior program isn't to turn these girls into professional cyclists, just to be transparent. Um, it's if they are talented and they rise up, we have resources, we have experts that are in our program that can help them. But for the most part, if, if we can connect these girls with college educations, because in, in the US there's a lot of um, scholarships that are available for, for young girls and boys through cycling, that's winning to me. And, you know, we have a very holistic, well-rounded approach um, to sort of raising these uh, young athletes. And, you know, a lot of them, when they get to sort of the upper teens, it's almost like a light switch goes off. They can be really into cycling one day and then not the next. So it, it's a, interesting to sort of move cautiously of how much you really are investing in these young girls because literally overnight they could not be interested in cycling anymore and it's boys in makeup um so yeah it's you know connecting them with education is really priority um promoting balance for these girls but like i said if we do have a couple of really talented girls on the team at the moment and you know World uh, sorry, uh, junior national championships is next week and they'll be trying to qualify for world championships and then we take it from there. But we're not, you know, sort of like a farm team raising professional mini cyclists, but it, that's not the goal. But with, with so many young women, with so many disciplines, um, you said you had 40 on the books. Mm -hmm. Do you have any help here or are you trying to manage these 40 young women by, by yourself? Because it sounds quite challenging, not only that, but then, you know, the sponsorship commitments from Virginia Blue Ridge to, mm -hmm. to Zwift. Um, mm -hmm. What is your budget and, and how do you allocate those resources to such a multidisciplinary race calendar? Well, if you think about juniors, they have parents and they're at home, they're in school, you know, the parents are paying for their local races. Uh, we had a couple of camps this year in Roanoke, Virginia, which were really successful. I mean, the, the growth in these young girls from uh, March to April was extraordinary. And that was just getting them together in a competitive environment. Um, and, it, and we did a, all kinds of off the bike team building environment, uh, uh, team, team building um, skills as well. They, they just grew so quickly within one month to the next camp. So we're putting our resources into things like that. Um, paying for a race entry or buying somebody a helmet, the, you know, the parents can do that. I mean, the parents pay a lot for kids in other sports, gymnastics, basketball, you know, they're paying thousands of dollars every year. Um, so we're, we're putting financial resources into having camps for them and you know bringing in experts i have katie keo um who was actually went through our junior ranks and became a world-class cyclocross racer um and she just recently retired she was you know she's won a cyclocross world cup 
and been on the podium many times. Um, she is actually the junior team manager. So it was great to, you know, I caught her just as she retired and I wanted to bring her back into the sport or just keep her in the sport. And it was perfect because she's doing a great job and she understands what it takes when you're a junior athlete to get to the highest level. So she's been really supportive. So she's she's been great managing that program for me. So just to add uh, to Bobby's uh, question, it's just you two then. There's no team no. press officer. There's no team cook oh. or nutrition uh, <laughs> nutrition advisor or coach or you have any of that mechanics or any of that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I am definitely not a mechanic and I, I swore, because I'm a doer, I, I mean, I'm just, I have a strong work ethic and I like actually, even though I'm in a managerial role, I like being in the trenches as well and getting my hands dirty. I swore I would never learn how to build a bike because then I would do it. Um, so no, we have a, a wonderful mechanic who actually was Katie Keogh's personal mechanic on um Canada Cyclocross World and uh, he's from the UK and he's he's a legend as well in um, cycling he's been all around the world and work, worked for a lot of different programs and he's a phenomenal mechanic and he's really incredible with the juniors he was a junior racer in the UK and um, so he's a he's a good part of the team and of course Kristen Armstrong who has been with us since the beginning um, any high performance questions and She coaches some of our athletes and I probably speak to her three or four times a day, every day. <laughs> so she's a big part of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, you know, it, you know, it's, it, it started off with just me. Um, and I, I really am at the point now where we, we do have a solid budget for the next few years and Virginia's Blue Ridge is incredibly supportive of, of what we do. Um, it's interesting. They love that we bike race, of course, but for them, it's not the priority. Um, engaging in their community is. And for me, it, it's really, I feel very passionate about that. And, you know, they want to bring people to Roanoke, Virginia to explore and, and ride the, the beautiful trails. So they've got an incredible trail system and infrastructure and incredible roads i mean i wonder why i had never been there before when i saw some of these roads but with the addition of that partnership is the addition of staff i mean they work with a pr company that now um is you know engaging with the team um and they have a lot of people in their office there so it feels like not only did i gain you know a title sponsor i gained staff as well so that's been um just a, a, a great transition for me And you've had the, the ride on, on Zwift, like you were one of the pioneers of the, mm -hmm. the Zwift group rides. Um, I think when I first started doing it, it was the, the 2016 or 2020 yep. ride with, you, with your team. And, you know, what I noticed after meeting some of these girls virtually and following them on so, uh, social media, following your team on social media, um, Does coaching and managing millennials or Gen Z women give you new challenges and pressures with that added social media kind of obligation? And it, it seems like it would, but like these, I've seen how they've created and maintained and grown their following. Is, is it a stressor for, for young women 
um, to to keep up that that social media presence just as much as ride a bike and and learn the ins and outs of cycling to go to edu- go to school? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And Kristen and I are often scratching our heads um, just with this newer generation and you know these these young women. And it's it's really it's not their fault. I mean, we grew up very differently. I mean, I grew up in England with a strong work ethic. I understood right from wrong. It was very black and white, yes and no. There was no social media, no phones. I had to walk up the street to get on a pay phone if I wanted to call a friend. And you had to time it, say, I'm gonna call you at five o'clock tonight. But then you'd get there and someone would be in the phone box. So you'd have to stand outside and hope that they saw you like, I'm gonna call my friend. It's so different these days. You had to like work for everything back then. And now it's just, you know, on on your device, it's at your fingertips. So um, there is a lot of pressure for these girls. Um, it, you know, I, I use Jennifer Valente, a three-time Olympic medalist, as a as an example of somebody that is not on social media, and she focuses all of her energy. and I, I, I use her as an example to my junior girls all the time. She focuses her energy on her craft of cycling and on her education. She's in college currently, you know, she won two medals in Tokyo. She's with us here at America's Dairyland actually. Um, and and she's not on social and, and she's got plenty of people around her all the time saying, you should get on social media. You have all these Olympic medals. You need to be, you'll get, make more money if you're, you know, you have more likes and followers and, and all of this. And she refuses to. And I, I'm really impressed with that because it's easy to get swept up in it. Um, it's hard it's hard for these girls and it it is really a challenging landscape of um of social media and the expectation and the expectation from my sponsors as well um most of our partners get it but there are a few that you know one in particular that i talked to um who has a i work with a marketing guy in the uk and i said oh you know perhaps now the you know, we're at this point and we've been working with you and I know we've had some great engagement. Maybe we could add some more um, funds to the the sponsorship next year. And his response was, oh, well, maybe if your team gets bigger. And so I questioned that and I thought, define bigger, because first of all, we have a 40 person team. That's big. Secondly, we've won 13 Olympic medals from the athletes directly on our team in the last few Olympic cycles. You don't get much bigger than that. We've got, you know, countless world champions on the team over the the last couple of decades of running the program, you know, and developed literally hundreds of kids and connecting them with scholarships at colleges. Um, What do you mean by bigger? And bigger simply means followings on social media. And, and so that's incredibly frustrating to me because if I was really spending all of my time developing social media followers, then what about the real life things that we're doing? The school visits, the touching lives in actual communities, you, you know, the, the engagement with, you know, local kids or local businesses. It's, it's really, we're at this really interesting juncture, I think, um, because, people's perception is the reality of social media, not really what is happening in the real world. Like our boots are on the ground, we're doing good things, we're, 
working with you know a refugee from Afghanistan we're doing good things um, in real life and you can't always see that on social media um, so yeah that's a long answer to your question but I hope I answered it um, since also sometimes it's a challenging field or maybe better to call it a minefield social media do you sometimes go through training sessions with the girls about the do's and do not do's of social media like for example hey after race take a breath put the phone away for an hour and only then start to go on social media not right when you're angry or full of frustration or, or <laughs> happiness or You know, just have be a little yeah. more cool down before. Like, is there is there any advice you give them, or you you mm -hmm. put them through like a s certain uh, lessons there? Yeah, we um, you know, we actually during our our second junior camp in Roanoke, Virginia, we actually had media training. So we had every athlete, um, you know, and these are are young girls. Some of them very young and. We had them in front of the camera and we had um, an interviewer asking them questions, you know, while they were being filmed and going through different scenarios, um, talking about, you know, how do you diplomatically talk about if you're injured or how do you diplomatically respond to, um, you know, you got beat by a girl that you didn't really like or things like that. And, and And we went through all these scenarios and I think they, I think they learned a lot. Um, you know, I mean, it's good and bad because you don't want your answers to be so contrived that they're, they're stiff. You want them to be natural and organic. But yeah, I mean, if they're feeling a bit hot headed after a race, I mean, we definitely tell them, you know, cool down. Or if we're there in person, we just kind of take them to the side. But part of the, the beauty of seeing sport is seeing the passion, you know, um, unfortunately, it, it doesn't always come out appropriately, but, you know, we don't we don't want it to become sort of like stale what you're seeing and, and so um, manicured um, the, the, the great part are the tears and the, the frustration and all of that. So, yeah, but they do they do have they do have training. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine, exclusive membership content from Velenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you will receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now, back to our chat with Nicola. 
I think when I was living at the Olympic Training Center, they put us through uh, media training back then, and I must admit, it went in one ear and and out the other. Yeah. But yeah. I could only imagine what these young women are having to deal with <laughs> these days yeah. with everything that's yeah. going on. I but, think it was really great when we played it back because they did a lot of cringing. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I understand <laughs> that. Having a podcast, uh, it's, it's tough to listen to myself sometimes. But I, I kind of want to go back. I mean, you guys were an early adopter to the online platforms, Zwift and, and whatnot, mm -hmm. not only doing your rides, but also doing, you know, chari charity rides and, and races. Mm -hmm. Since Zwift started sponsoring you guys, and you guys have definitely had a, a pioneering role, what are some of the insights or advantages you think your girls learned from that inside way of riding a bike? And how do you see that evolving into uh, an easier sort of talent ID and preparing for races in the real world? Yeah, um, you know, we started with the uh, Swift Kiss Super League, which was now, gosh, that was quite a few years ago. And, and Swift was not a sponsor back then. And um, we, you know, at first I was hesitant when they contacted me and said, hey, do you want to be a part of what we're doing? We were a UCI team then. And I kept thinking to myself, oh, one more thing on my plate. Um, no thanks, but tell me more. And so they made it really easy for us and provided all the equipment that we needed and everything. And the girls really enjoyed it. And it was, additional time because unlike a lot of European teams that the, the teams stay together um, in team housing in the US it's not not the case so the girls are all over all the time in different places and they do local races come together for the bigger races but this was an opportunity to get the team together more often and and more easily so they adapted really quickly and, and got really quite good at it and then, you know, that kind of progressed into some one day classic type races. And then we did the, the Tour de France a couple of years ago. And then they had the Premier League, which we raced and um, had a lot of fun doing for a few seasons. And so one of the things that we really noticed um, and we saw developing in some of our athletes was the ability to suffer. Um, you know, in, in Europe, there's a lot of races. In the US, there aren't as many races. So there's less opportunity to suffer. And it, it's, you know, I know you both know how to do it, but, you know, it's not always natural for some people. And we had a couple of women on the team that you look at their power numbers and you're like, wow, this, this girl's really strong, but there's, there's something that she needed to break through just to get to the next level. And so doing it in the safety of your own home on your trainer um, was a great way to just really push yourself past where you thought was possible because what was the worst thing that was gonna happen? You might fall off the bike onto your living room floor. It was big deal, no big deal. So, you know, it was, it was really advantageous to just have these athletes and we know how hard Zwift racing actually is. It's such a focused, concentrated effort. And it, it was great. We, we saw a lot of um, good things came out of it. And for Kristen and, and for Chloe, when she was a part of our program, just to be able to do a focused time trial effort without worrying about 
anything else, you know, any weather conditions, stop signs, cars, anything, she was able to see best power numbers on Zwift while training for an outside time trial. So you really do see a lot of benefits in it, but then you just got to mix it up to get the girls out on the road. You know, the real world, we just talked about it. Oh, to get yeah. a feeling how to behave within the peloton to read the, uh, the opposition to uh, develop tactics, to follow a plan. Is, is that challenging sometimes to get them out there? Uh, I mean, they, after the swift sessions, they probably all know how to ride fast and hard, but it has to be yes. in an intelligent way on the road, right? Yes, you know, it, it's a really good point that you bring up because I, I do believe that the art of tactics is being lost, um, just in general. And especially with a, a new generation and, and particularly with American athletes, there's not that much racing. Um, and you can do some criterium racing. There's a few stage races, um, you know, and a lot of the bigger races have gone like Colorado, Utah, Tour California. Um, so there's not that influx of European influence um, that have sort of grown up with those great tactics. So I think that, you know, we encourage the athletes to watch, you know, there's so many races online now. Um, so you can, you know, there's some great coverage and you can follow, you know, whether it's the Tour de France or the Tour de Suisse women's race or, or many races where you can actually see the tactics happening. Um, and if there's a great commentator, they can talk through what's going on. So. Um, I think it's important to teach, you know, these kids get obsessed with their devices and power numbers and, you know, they're just like glued to numbers these days and they're forgetting about the art of tactics. Um, Kristen and I have talked about that and there used to be, you know, in, in North America, I think a lot of really incredible women came out of the T-Mobile team. And, you know, Ina lived in the U.S. for a long time and she did a lot of racing um, here in the U.S. So. You had somebody like that in the peloton who was actually, you know, brilliant tactically, and she would share her knowledge with younger riders, even if they weren't on the same team. But you had this sort of like rolling education um, while you were racing, and that's not happening anymore. So I, I do have concern that um, that's being lost on on a younger generation, actually. Um, well, we can cut it out, but I just got to get it off my chest here because it's uh, maybe slightly different team. But I remember when you talk about younger generation, I remember even my generation, we had a Giro Italia, right? So we talked probably 10 yeah. years ago, right? Or maybe yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. And we're all in the team bus. And um, so I come out of the shower, like, you know, stage finish, you roll to the team bus, you have your recovery drink, go to the shower. I come out of the shower and the entire team is just sitting there and looking at their power numbers go, oh yeah, this was good. Yeah, good power there, good power here and my recovery is good. And I'm like, I was almost yelling at them like, are you all stupid? We did not win the race. We had a shit day. We get paid to cross that fucking white line first. Sorry for swearing. We don't get paid yes. to create a beautiful curve. On, on, on your power files. We get paid to win, to perform. If you don't perform, we had a shit day. I don't care how your numbers look. The numbers could look like terrible, worst ever. If you win the race, you are right. Ah, so it started already 15 years ago. Ah, okay, now we yeah. can go back to the podcast. I'm, I feel better now. I just had to get it off. 
Are you, are you yes, better? Yes, no, I'm good. I'm calm. Better? I'm calm. I'm feeling better. Oh. Look at look at wow, we lit him up there. Nicola. No, hey. it's it's a it's a valid point. It's a valid point. It, it's almost like you know, these yeah, who teaches them this? I mean, if they're not in a race environment constantly, I mean, you can have a coach and they can post your um training on training peaks, right? And great, but who's teaching them the tactics? It's hard. And th- You've already mentioned that you've had 13 Olympic medals, multiple world champions come through your team. You've also mentioned that the cycling scene isn't as big as it used to be over here in America. So you're doing the online races, the the gravel races, the crits, the track. How how does that how do you keep getting great athletes and getting great results with this mid, hodgepodge sort of multi-discipline schedule compared to the the women over in Europe that basically have a a, a nice solid world tour schedule. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. you're just grasping mm-hmm. at straws, but something's something's working. You're doing something right. Yeah, um, we are. And you know, take a, take an athlete like Jennifer Valente, for example. Um, so she wins two medals in Tokyo, and I said to her, Jennifer. After Tokyo, do you want to just shut it down? And or do you want to do a couple races? What do you want to do? So she said, you know, I'd love to do Leadville. I'm like, Leadville, okay. And so get this, simultaneously, and they did not speak to each other, our Canadian athlete, who also was in Tokyo, got fourth, but she has two um, Olympic bronze medals from two previous uh, Olympics as well. I said the same thing to her. Jasmine, do you want to shut it down? She goes, I'd love to do Leadville. And so guess what? We packed up and went to Leadville after Tokyo. And so, you know, I do make things more difficult for myself by being so accommodating. I mean, I I love that the athletes can have a balanced lifestyle. I love that they can script their own season. Um, and it keeps them happy. I mean, you know, Chloe was on the team for seven years before she went to a European team. And she hasn't seen the same success that she did when she was on our team. I mean, granted, she has an injury that she's still recovering from. But, you know, when you think about after Kristen Armstrong won her gold medal in Beijing, every team wanted her to go on their team. But she chose to come with, we were then Peanut Butter & Co. 2012, who was sponsored by a peanut buttering company. She wanted to be a part of what we're doing, um, firstly as a director, but then she stayed as an athlete because she didn't have to go and race in Europe and, you know, have a big schedule there. She wanted to have a baby, have flexibility, have balance in her life, work um, a regular job too, um, and not have the primary focus just be on, being on, you know, getting to the next Olympics. And so, you know, unique athletes find their way here and we can accommodate them. And that's just, we're a very unique program in that way. And it works for us. It (laughs) definitely seems to uh, work for you. Um, So now we talk about all the athletes and challenges and what actually makes you happy? What, What are you doing in your downtown? Do we actually have still time to go and ride your own bike every now and then or just office 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 and driving the girls around and organizing more camps or every now and then you go hey you know what i feel yeah. like i got three spare hours or two hours i just want to hop on a bike 
Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And, and thanks for asking it because I don't get asked very often. Um, and when I do, I'm usually quite stumped um, with the answer because I, I get so swept up in the momentum of, of what I'm doing. And you know how it is running a cycling team. If you don't have a giant staff, I could work 24 hours a day. Um, I love what I do. Um, I do love bike riding. I, I like going on solo rides. I like gravel riding, mountain biking. I really ride my bike for my Zen time. Um, I don't do it that often. Um, there was a period of time where I didn't ride at all because it reminded me of work. And so even though I love my work, it just seemed to be never ending. So I would hike a lot. I love hiking mountains. I love alpine hiking. Um, but you know, cycling is my life. It wasn't something that I really chose um, as a career. And it was purely just, I don't know, it was, I was just, it, it sort of got a hold of me. And when I was on a local team in Northern California and I, you know, had some really good athletes and we sort of spiraled into a UCI track trade team before we were even a road team. And it, I had a, I came to this juncture where I had to choose, you know, am I working in real estate or am I going to run a cycling team? So I chose the one that made me less money, but also I was really passionate about. So, yeah, I mean, that was a long time ago. And I think that, you know, when you enjoy something, and you do it every day. I mean, I feel really blessed and, and really lucky. It's hard, hard work. And but I love hard work. I, I don't shy away from hard work. And I do love to get out. Um, now I'm based in Virginia. A, a lot of the time, the riding there is so stunning. I mean, I ride my bike around and just say wow all the time. So I do, I do get out and do that for myself. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. You definitely need to keep that life work balance because you're you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off uh, a lot of the time. But again, I want to kind of go back to to one thing that I find quite interesting because you're you're managing all these women, and then mm -hmm. when it comes to an important uh, event like the World Championships or the Olympics, mm -hmm. politics comes into the equation. Mm -hmm. You want your riders to do one training block or one training session or you know a race program and then these you know usa cycling or the canadian cycling federation or any other uh federations that you have to deal with yeah um what is can you give us a little bit of insight into the relationships between you the trade team manager and the national team managers how that how that works mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it seems like you're doing all the hard work and developing these women and then all of a sudden these federations get the credit because they're racing for uh this country or or that country yeah how do, how does how does that work within the the whole kind of scheme of things yeah that's a that's another great question um Early on, when I realized I had some talented athletes on the team, I, I we were one of the first teams in the U.S., women's teams, um, back in, well, gosh, I mean, probably 15 years ago when Jim Miller was running the women's endurance program. 
that we collaborated. I mean, I didn't have the resources back then to send athletes to Europe and they were sending athletes as a national team. So I had very open dialogue with USA Cycling as far as um, I knew that my athletes needed to go over and, and do this type of racing. And we worked very closely with the national team, whereas other, other teams wouldn't do the same thing because, oh, but you're not wearing our jersey and you know our sponsors want you in our jersey, so you can't go. Well, that's not a great um, attitude to have when you're really trying to get the best for your athletes. Um, so I've always worked pretty, pretty well. And, you know, same with Jennifer Valente, who we might not see most of the year sometimes if it's an Olympic year. And she's working with Gary Sutton, who I speak to frequently. I mean, we make sure we're on the same page. And, you know, I check in with him and say, do you think this big crit block that she wants to do or this gravel race that she wants to do is going to work in with your um, your plans? And, you know, we, we work on it together. So it's very collaborative. Um, I did have a meeting just a couple of weeks ago with a new marketing person at USA Cycling. And I just said, hey, you know, I want to start us off on the right foot. Um, I've noticed that recently USA Cycling, when they talk about the athletes on, on social media, they don't mention the team. And the teams are the ones that are paying for everything. The teams are the ones that are putting all the hard work in and developing these young athletes or these professional athletes. I think there needs to be a more collaborative approach to um, the storytelling. And, you know, they, they were in complete agreement. The two people I spoke to are new and they said, okay, let's work on this together. Because um, I think about not just my program, when I'm having these conversations with USA Cycling, it's not just about me. It's about, you know, all of those other development teams that are out there like Lux and Hot Tubes and all these incredible programs that are just bringing up these kids and turning them into these little superstars. And, you know, they're winning um, world championships at, at, and uh, as juniors or even as, as professionals. And I just said, you know, there's a little bit of hard feelings um, going on in, you know, sort of on the ground here with these teams. And I think it would be really great if you just mentioned them and um, we have a more collaborative approach. So I, I'm pretty active. I mean, sometimes I, I step back from it and then, you know, I get fired up again and reach out and just try and be really proactive and positive about, I mean, we all want the best for these athletes and we all benefit if they do well. So let's just get on the same page. So now talking about that, would you ever consider to take a position at US Cycling or at the UCI? <laughs> you could not work with a team anymore, but maybe you could influence the life of many more athletes. Would that ever be a consideration of you? Yeah, well, I am on the sports committees at USA Cycling and I've been very involved in, you know, in, in that for many, many years. Um, I backed off the last couple of years and nobody, you know, I would go to USA Cycling a couple of times a year and have meetings and I was on the professional road committee and then professional track committee there. Um, as far as the UCI, I don't know. I mean, I, I often think about what am I going to do when I'm not running a team anymore? But I, I think that having a, a really strong representative Of a representative for U.S. racing is important within the UCI because I think that it's very European centric. And I know like 
you know, Australia and the US, we're just, it's a very different landscape, um, cycling is. And I, I think that just needs to be better representation because, you know, a lot of phenomenal athletes come out of the US and there's just certain things that apply and or don't apply to US racing. And I don't think it's considered enough. So possibly down the road. That's a good answer. I love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I can't let you go without asking or telling you a little story uh, to preface my, my, my last question was the Olympics. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, cycling started for me in 1984. I was watching the, I was paying attention to the cycling events because a neighbor of mine that lived up just right up the valley uh, made the Olympic team. And then this gentleman went on and actually won the 1984 Olympic road race in, in Los Angeles. His name was Alexi Graywall. And oh, yeah. that watching that race changed my life for forever. With the Olympics coming to America in 2028, what do you need? I want all of our listeners to, to hear what you have to say. What do you need to develop the young women that will be as successful as the American riders back in 1984, like Connie Carpenter Finney and Rebecca Twig? What can we do to get the motivation, the rallying cry for all the support that it'll take for the women that you're working with now to be Olympic champions in, in 2024 or especially in 2028 in Los Angeles? <laughs> That's a really great question too. And hmm, well, I mean, it's, I think a lot of it, it comes down to resources and, you know, I can only do so much as a human being. Um, I think the budget, it plays a big part in it, especially when you are looking at timed events, um, you know, time trialing and, and pursuing um, it's sort of developing the best equipment, the best clothing, um, you know, the, the fastest speed suit, wind tunnel time, things like that. I mean, those those are all very expensive things to do. Um, so and, and some of that is taken care of by USA Cycling, um, but they don't have the budget for that sometimes either. So, you know, resources, which means money, um, is really sort of a critical part moving forward to the LA Olympics in 2028. Well, everyone heard it right there. Let's let's make it our mantra to give these young men and women the resources yeah. that they need to be as successful as that team back in 1984. Mm -hmm. Well, Nicola, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're very, very busy. It's always great talking to you. Please keep us in the loop let us know what's going on and thank you again for for coming on the podcast today yeah thank you it was so nice to see you guys i really appreciate you having me on well that's all our time for this week huge thanks to nicola for being our guest thanks for listening please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends and if you enjoyed this chat with nicola Why don't you check out our chats with other team bosses like Axel Merckx, Bjarne Ries or Jonathan Waters. The show was a Valley News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mosser. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Thank you.